Welcome to Find Flow, a podcast on the ebb and flow of the IT operations management scene. We take a deep dive into the latest developments on IT operations management, IT service management, and AI ops. Find Flow episodes are on iTunes and Spotify, and remember to subscribe. I'm your host, Sean McDermott, and this is Find Flow. Welcome, everybody. My name is Sean McDermott. This season, we are focused primarily on vendors and the technologies in the marketplace. Today, I want to welcome Cloud Fabrics to, uh, to the podcast. And with us are uh, two members of the Cloud Fabrics team, um, Bashkar Krishnamsetti, <laughs> um, who, who is the um, uh, Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder of Cloud Fabrics and Tejo Prayaga, who is the Senior Director of Product Management. Welcome, uh, Tejo and Bhaskar. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure is ours. Good. So I don't really like reading bios, so I will let mm -hmm. you guys speak for yourself. So uh, give, the, give the audience a quick rundown on, on who you are and where you come from. So Bhaskar, we'll start with you. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Uh, again, thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Bhaskar Krishnan Sethi. As Sean said, I'm one of the co-founders and chief product officer at Cloud Fabrics. Well, I started my career 25 years ago as a software engineer. Uh, then I uh, switched on to uh, led several teams in enterprise architecture, uh, software engineering, product management, and product marketing. And if I split my career exactly into the half, half in the corporate world, half in the startup world, um, so even I was, uh, when I was in corporate world, I was always drawn to emerging technologies, how you can apply those uh, you know, to help uh, either end customers or the IT users, right? So coming to my startup journey, actually I want to share my team, co-founding team and core engineering team. The reason, uh, this is our fourth technology startup together and uh, the DNA of uh, us uh, is primarily engineering driven and you know, building enterprise scale, enterprise grade platforms to leverage uh, emerging technologies as well as automation. So if uh, just a quick uh, background, our, we did the same for the network uh, configuration automation. And in second startup, we did it in security compliance. And the last one, we did it for virtual infrastructure and cloud infrastructure provisioning and automation. Probably most of you might be familiar, Cisco UCS Director, that, that was the, uh, you know, uh, our product, uh, which does unified infrastructure provisioning and management. Now coming to Cloud Fabrics uh, in March uh, 2015, uh, we wanted to now, so far we did apply automation and analytics technologies to a domain, right? So now we thought, you know, we wanted to apply this holistically for the full application stack, that is the vision we started with, right? So full stack analytics for a given outcome, okay? Of course, there are several names uh, thrown, uh, ITOA, ITOA plus, finally, I think it's settled down to AIOps. So thus, we, we are one of the AIOps platform and solution providers. Awesome. That's, a, that's quite a, a pedigree, a bunch of startups out there, including uh, acquired by Cisco. So congratulations on that. Um, Tejo, talk, tell me a little bit about you. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is uh, Tejo Prayaga. 
I lead the product management uh, for our AI ops uh, solutions here. Uh, and I joined the company almost at the beginning of the founding of the company. And uh, prior to this, uh, right, I was, um, I was doing a product management for the Cisco UCS uh, director product. Uh, where we were doing infrastructure automation, private cloud provisioning and automation. And uh, even today, that's like a, a very successful uh, product, right? And I had a large uh, stint at Cisco and did uh, uh, different uh, different BUs and different products, uh, primarily in the channel product management. I did hardware product management with the Cisco switching um, and prior to that, I was working at another startup. It's called Topspin Communications, uh, which Cisco acquired uh, way back then. And uh, that's how I, I joined Cisco. So even my career, I have been doing multiple different roles, you know, technical leadership, uh, software engineering, and now product management and marketing. And uh, so far, it's going great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's awesome. So... Uh, what I wanted to do, I mean, the format of this podcast really uh, is to talk about cloud fabrics and what your product does and some of your key differentiators and how people should be thinking about deploying AI ops with cloud fabrics. But before we get into that, uh, Basker, we, um, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts, right? I mean, as a guy who's been in automation space mm -hmm. for a long time, I too have been, you know, been doing a lot of, uh, I, I founded a company called Real Ops back in the day mid 2000s oh, okay. and we sold that to BMC. So I've got mm -hmm. automation in my DNA too. Um, so talk a little bit about in, in, you know, AI ops as it's emerged over the last few years with the, you guys are pretty, real, you're new, right? I mean, 2015, you're a new guy on the block. So bringing in you know, a lot of kind of new thinking and, and not really tethered to any kind of legacy platforms. So talk to us about um, AI ops as you see it, what kind of got us here today mm -hmm. and what led to this? Absolutely. Um, I said, uh, I think the current state of AI ops, it's much better uh, when it's compared to 18 months to two years back, right? Um, so when we used to pitch our AI ops platform and solution, the dialogue used to be around what is AI ops and, you know, what are the benefits of AI ops? But uh, thanks to, you know, of firms like yours and Gartner's, you educated <laughs> IT leaders enough, now the dialogue has shifted, right? They, everybody understands what AIOps is, what are the benefits. Now they're all interested in how do we get there, right? So uh, I think, uh, uh, frankly speaking, there was some uh, hands burnt with AIOps 1.0 uh, kind of platforms because the nature of AIOps is you need to bring everything together. You, they are very high touch. Right, um, so I think the discussion now is the frictionless is the keyword I would use. How easy we can implement AI ops. Uh, so our current discussions are around that. And the one more discussion point, honestly, is this vendor uh, clarity and a vendor confusion. Right, uh, we we are we being one of the domain agnostic uh, vendors sitting on top of. AI ops ecosystem and pulling uh, data from all these sources and providing consolidated intelligence. But now a lot of the discussions because other AI ops ecosystem vendors, whether it's ITOM, ITSM, ITIM vendors, they not only provide APM and ITSM, also want to pro offer AI ops, right? So now uh, whenever we go to prospects and customers, they say, hey, how are you guys different, right? So, so 
um, that is uh, also you know uh, which is a good development more you know crowded uh, and that means more uh, demand is there but uh, i think it's much better as i said that as a, as a vendor it is our responsibility to you know uh, acknowledge that frictionless part right when we say frictionless the two aspects of it one is technically frictionless and culturally right so when we say technically uh, that is where i think a uh, lot of time they are taking longer time to get the time to value and the data integrations and data plumbing that's where we see a lot of them uh, struggling uh, so that's where we need to provide a lot of automation and a lot of you know uh, uh, help there and from a culturally if you look at sean uh, there is no dedicated group or anything uh, we see i mean because like, like devops right there is a very defined group and all here uh, sometimes it's a top down initiative uh, starting with cxos and all which is usually good because the rest of the groups uh, align but sometimes it is it ops sometimes it's knock ops sometimes it is you know devops teams so there is no clear cut defined uh, buying center and all right so that's what one of the things uh, that i observe as well so besides that uh, use cases point of view uh, we know we all know the beachhead use cases right anomaly detection alert noise reduction uh, root cause analysis so they are the still key use cases but we are seeing some evolving use cases right uh, especially in uh, uh, cloud native world microservices and devops world now they there is a lot of you know uh, uh, logging but not proper monitoring and all how you can help them both during the uh, ci cd pipeline itself how you can help dev and qa teams with you know a lot of uh, uh, these uh, features and logs and operational data and one more use case we are really seeing actually that's emerging a lot especially from our telecom and service providers are edge analytics right especially with the 5g and all uh they edge to core to cloud how do we bring ai ops to the edge that is one of the uh, emerging uh, uh, use case and one more uh, last use case i will tell up how do you apply nlp natural language processing to lot of your unstructured and semi structured data that is in logs incidents or change request right how can how you can help them so this is how i mean this is good the some of these use cases are uh, evolving right um so overall i think it is going in the right direction as i said uh, uh, as a vendor it's our responsibility to make their journey as frictionless uh, as seamless as possible yeah i think your use cases are are pretty much what we're hearing right and mm -hmm. when we work with our clients on on ai ops and we talk i mean the use case is going to be based on anything that's generating a lot of data right so incident alert management is pretty much ground zero and and i think you're right what we're seeing is a lot of discussion on the value proposition of ai ops is kind of talked out and we even you know we have a weekly ai ops evolution um broadcast we do every week and and it's you know it's kind of hard on those weekly broadcasts to kind of talk about some things that we feel like we talk about all the time right and and re, and we don't want to rehash things um so we're seeing it too where a lot of customers right now are now in the, okay we're we're starting to believe the story right and this was kind of my experience back in mid 2000s when we were doing automation and run book automation that was our platform and training you know um 
educating people on it and getting them to believe we could actually do what we said because it had been a promise for so long. And I think that we're now getting into this phase where people are starting to try it out. Say, okay, I'm, 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 this is now worth my time to kind of try out and see if we can throw a use case or two at AI ops and see what happens, right? And we're definitely seeing that. So talk yeah, a little absolutely. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're absolutely right. That uh, trust factor, you know, uh, what I, I call this uh, famous quote, trust but verify, right? So yeah. there is a little bit of hesitancy, but yeah, you're right. So, so let's talk about, you know, before we kind of get into Cloud Fabrics, which I'm excited mm -hmm. to talk to you guys about, what, what is, um, where do you see this going over the next, you know, three years, right? You, I mean, you shorten the timeline to 18, 24 months. So let's, let's only look out three years. Where do you see this going? And, and hit on this natural language processing too, because that's, that's an interesting thing you just brought up. Yeah, absolutely. So first let me share uh, the natural language processing one because uh, I'll give you an example, right? One of our largest financial organization, uh, the use case is very interesting use case. They were using on-prem service now and they customized the heck out of it, right? And there is so much knowledge, tribal knowledge in their notes or resolution notes or description and all. Now, ServiceNow, they came and said, hey, you have to move out of to the SaaS version. So they're going to lose a lot of what of the customization fields and the text there. So they requested, hey, can you guys help us preserving this knowledge base, right? So, uh, metadata of all the old 10 years of uh, change requests and uh, incidents and so that we can help for the future incident classification and uh, you know uh, resolution and all and analysis and all right so that is where we applied we i mean again uh, cloud fabrics offers our own nlp models but also we also offer uh, integration with openai or uh, uh, ibm watson right so they they have very good nlp engines as well so uh, customers should have that options of you know uh, providing uh, either external NLP engines or our own NLP engines. But this is just one uh, use case, right? So similarly, I would say there is so much lying in today's enterprise uh, operational data. I think more and more NLP applying to those to weave these insights, especially to create a good knowledge base, uh, because they have that, uh, so far the knowledge base has been very splintered around, right? So it's been spread out and all, so they want to preserve that. So you can apply NLP in those cases. Yeah, I, I, the, the NLP thing really kind of caught my attention there because I think that there, there is definitely a need in when you start aggregating lots of data together, right? You guys are building some very advanced models and algorithms to aggregate data and root cause and causation and things like that and looking at patterns. But the data that shows up, you know, the information that shows up to the operator still may have some very technical components to that. And applying natural language processing on top of that could make, you know, make it kind of interesting that um, you're able to even make the results of your, mm -hmm. your AI more human understandable. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks, Basker. We, um, I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit here, and we're going to start talking more about Cloud Fabrics, which is why you guys are here in the first place. So um, 
All right, so let's, uh, Tejo, I'm gonna shift over to you and let you kind of take the lead on this. But, um, you know, you've got your product, CFX Dimensions, love to hear about that. Um, and you've also, from what I understand, you guys have also launched this thing, robotic data automation and a new site, uh, roboticdata.ai. So I'd love to hear about that. So, so talk to me about um, CFX Dimensions and what you guys are doing there and love to kind of understand some of the differentiators that you guys have in your platform. Absolutely, yeah. So let me start with uh, our uh, you know key products in our AOPS uh, portfolio, and uh, I'm going to talk about three uh, three of them. Uh, first one is robotic data automation. Uh, the second one is operations intelligence and analytics, which is our core AOPS uh, platform, and the third one is observability in a box. And I'll walk through each one of these. So robotic data automation. Uh, this is our data ops automation platform. And uh, if you understand the genesis of this, why we actually built this product, whenever we go to any enterprise customer and talk about AOPS, they have difficulty bringing their existing data and the systems into an AOPS methodology. And this is where the RDA product completely automates your data preparation and integration activities using uh, data pipelines and bots. And uh, this RDA will also give you data-driven automation, which is an essential component of AIOps. So RDA acts like a foundation for all of our AIOps offerings, providing this data-driven automation and data ops automation. The second product is uh, operations, intelligence, and analytics. Again, this is our core AIOps offering addressing some of the use cases around um, alert noise reduction, you know, uh, incident uh, MTTR reduction and predictive analytics. Um, and the third one is observability in a box. And here again, I want to give some context on what this product is. When we go to enterprise customers, there are a lot of monitoring tools out there, but there are still data visibility gaps. Right? And we want to fill those visibility gaps when we are talking about AIOps, you need to have data to begin with. And this observability in a box is filling those data visibility gaps. And the second use case that we are seeing with, it, uh, with observability in a box is uh, customers want to get more visibility, especially in edge environments. And when we talk to telco service provider uh, customers, they, they need some of this edge analytics and uh, embedded analytics uh, also. And that's where we are positioning this observability in a box. Again, we are not trying to be a monitoring tool here, but trying to fill that visibility gaps, which is an essential part in AIOps. And all of these products, actually, we have uh, built on the CFX Dimensions platform, uh, which is built with modern microservices-based based architecture, right? So that's giving us the flexibility to either be deployed on an edge environment, on-prem or cloud. And most of our customers, let, let's say if we talk about uh, defense contractors or healthcare insurance customers, they have deployed on-prem, but our web scale customers, they have deployed on public clouds. So our architecture is giving, giving us that flexibility to be deployed anywhere. And it's also SaaS. 
Yeah, that's an interesting way you guys are doing it because there seems to be a lot of companies that are either doing, you know, kind of pure on 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 platform. I'm sorry, on prem, you know, kind of your your legacy code versus other companies that are doing SaaS. So, um, getting back to robotic data automation, so let's talk about this for a little bit. Um, you know, walk us through. I mean, the automation of data preparation. Like, how does that actually work? And um, you talk about uh, pipelines. You know, do you automate the connection into the data source? Do you automate the mapping of data fields? Like, what exactly is happening here with that? Absolutely, it's all of that actually. And let me walk through a typical uh, scenario and the flow, right? Um, so RDA, the first thing is uh, it provides you bots-based automation with low-code data pipelines, right? So we have built more than 500 bots in, in our bot library in 20 categories, right? So, so let's say in AIOps, uh, typically you start with integrating with the data source, you ingest the data. Now you need to do some filtering of the data, you may need to do some data transformation, you may need to enrich the data by bringing data from other sources, you may need to do some AI ML analytics, right? and you may need to trigger some automations in some third-party tools, you may need to go and update some dashboards. So all of these activities, right, data-driven activities, you can completely do with bots. And uh, one example I can give you, right? So, so let's say if you want to get data from AWS. Uh, without these bots, you would have to understand AWS API, what are the data constructs, the data models, and the schema, right? But with our bots, it's just completely, um, you know, um, it's just using the bot. You don't need to know any of those nuances. Right? You don't need to understand the API. So we are completely making it very easy to perform all of these data ingestions and integrations and all the data prep and integration activities. And the data pipelines themselves are implemented in low code. So what this means, you don't need to be a data scientist. You don't need to be a you know, programming expert to implement these pipelines. These are implemented completely in a markup language, which just looks like natural language. So that's why you know, RDA has a very broad appeal to any type of IT generalist, IT enthusiast, uh, so that you know, the, the skill set requirement is completely eliminated. You don't need all of these data science skills in your team to, to use RDA. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. Um, you know, so on this weekly broadcast that we do, um, and you can actually check it out on uh, AIOpsEvolution.com, we talk a lot about the, uh, the success of AI ops and AI in general requiring teams of people, right? Data scientists and um, process engineers and, and uh AI model and, you know, and translators who translate business requirements into, you know, the technical, you know, output of these models. And I've been pretty much advocating, or not advocating, but stating that um, that's a problem, right? Because these teams require highly skilled people that may and, and actually don't really exist today. Surely, you know, people are going to get more trained in, in, in this going forward, but a lot of them are going to get sucked up 
into the larger you know enterprises who can afford to pay pay um, these these people and ultimately you know who's going to be left behind are a lot of the mid-sized enterprises who have lots of requirements for data and AI and data processing and they're not going to have access to the talent so there we, we talked a little bit um, last week I think about some work being done up in Cornell where they're looking at really taking AI at a very uh, a lower, you know, removing the skill of AI and really looking at retraining business people who understand the context of the organization, the context of the business, the context of the data, and giving them, you know, the ability to start, you know, working in AI and building models and things like that without having to be an expert in AI. So that's a really interesting thing. So the robotic data automation, so this, this robotic data.ai, is this a, um, is it a product for you guys? Is it a community or is it both? Yeah, it's, it's right now, it's, it's, it's both. What we are doing with RDA is it's actually working as a foundational foundation for all of our offerings. It's embedded into each of the products that I talked about. And we are also building a community of uh, developers and ecosystem partners who are able to contribute bots to our bot library. Okay, excellent. So the the uh, operational intelligence and analytics that's kind of that's your core platform, right? That's that's where you guys started. Uh, can you go into a little bit more detail on that and the use cases that you guys have for that, and then we can touch on the observability in the boss, because I think that's pretty interesting too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I want to highlight a few, uh, few things in the, uh, operations intelligence. Right? So we have a lot of list of features, but I will highlight a few areas where, uh, in most cases, enterprises struggle in those areas. So the first one is contextualization of data. Right? As we get data from multiple different domains, whether it's applications, infrastructure, log systems, cloud systems, we get data from all of these areas and we are able to enrich and enhance the quality of this data automatically so that you don't have to depend on a CMDB, right? Uh, or you don't have to do these manual data ingestions, which most of the other implementations we see that there is a dependency on these manual data feeds. And that's not going to scale if you do that. We actually completely automate the data contextualization and enrichment process using our own asset intelligence and own uh, discovery process. So that's the first one. So so do you guys ever have the issue of saying, of going to customers and say, hey, look, we've already got discovery going, so we're using ServiceNow and their discovery engine populating the CMDB. Um, so why deploy another discovery tool to create more, you know, if, you know, more traffic on the network. So uh, do you come across that? And so like, what's the response? Yeah, uh, Sean, let me take that. Definitely, uh, definitely. We, we do have that uh, thing when there is already a good discovery and good CMDB in place, we will take input from that, right? But what we are finding out in majority uh, of the enterprise environments, those CMDBs are incomplete to the most part. Right, so that's the that's why we started our own asset discovery and intelligence. 
But to your point, yeah, if it's already there, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Okay, if that's a pristine data, we have a way of analyzing also whether what they have is true or not by verifying it, right? So that's why we created this asset discovery and intelligence product. Yeah, I would, uh, I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Uh, having real life experience, even recently with some of our customers who have CMDBs, mm -hmm. they tend to look more like asset databases than what we would think of as yep. a true CMDB with dependencies and service description. You know, um, so it makes it very hard. We've also found that a fair number of these CMDB uh, data is just absent, right? Um, even simple things like vendor vendor names are not in there, right? So exactly. that becomes very difficult to do anything with when you're when you're integrating into a CMDB, you're pulling in the fields, you're mapping to that data, and then you pull it all back, and most of the fields are empty. <laughs> so there's nothing yeah. to filter on. Uh, so we're finding that too. Like we're finding that yeah. uh, a lot of these CMDBs are really, uh, and these are customers using ServiceNow that they uh, are really just essentially databases of, of assets uh, of which some of the information is um, robust and some is very lacking. So if you're trying to use that and what, I can, I can understand why you guys are doing this because now you can control the discovery process, you can control what information you're getting, you can control the dependency mapping and things like that, which would make all your AI models um, much more robust uh, than relying mm -hmm. on somebody else. So it makes sense. Do you get a lot of customers that are cool with that and say, hey, yeah, we kind of know that, so let's just run your, your, run your discovery? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. I mean, actually, some cases, they said the same thing, exactly what you said. Oh, we already got it. And then we ran what we call some uh, discovery diff analysis kind of a thing. Then we have shown some of the instances that were not even there and some of the missing fields. Then they say, oh, okay. Then they asked us, hey, not only that, can you also sync our uh, CMDB for our other <laughs> applications that are depending on CMDB, right? So, uh, yeah, most of the cases that is right, but there are very few cases where they have a good CMDBs and discovery. Gotcha. Tejo, I didn't mean to uh, uh, take you off track there, so uh, continue on. No worries, it's all good, yeah. So the second one I want to talk about is uh, correlation recommendations. Right. So when you implement AOps, uh, you're going to have a lot of these alerts and events. So instead of handcrafting these correlations manually or writing your regular expressions or rules, what we do is using our AI ML techniques and unsupervised ML techniques, we are providing these optimal correlation recommendations to the customer so that they don't have to handcraft these policies, they don't have to depend on the tribal knowledge, right? So this way, they are able to cut down the observation times. We are even able to take the historical data and at the beginning of the AOPS implementation itself, they get a set of recommendations to say, hey, Mr. Customer, these are the optimal recommendations in your environment. If you correlate this way, this is the kind of noise reduction you're going to get. Excellent, excellent. Right. So the, and to add to that, we also provide some advanced correlation controls, um, especially for large enterprise environments. You know, if they want to correlate based on a horizontal stack or a vertical full stack, 
if they want to do it um, based on a certain layer or an attribute or if they want to do time windowing of the correlations, we provide these advanced controls. So we were working with one of the customers and what they said is, hey, you know, our production environment behaves differently versus their UAP. And we want to correlate differently. And we were able to address that. And some, some other customers said that we have a dedicated storage team. Um, so we want to correlate all the storage alerts in a different way. And we have a network infrastructure and systems team is different. We want to do it in a different way. So we are able to address all of these different scenarios by providing these advanced correlation controls. Excellent. So let's talk about observability in the box. What's the origin of that? Um, you talk about you, you don't necessarily want to be an observability platform, but you want to fill in some gaps. So talk about you know the origin of observability in the box. Yeah. So you know when we talk to enterprise customers, they have all of these monitoring tools, but still they have these visibility gaps, especially for some of these cloud-native workloads or some of the edge workloads and tier two environments. Right? So tier one, it's mostly taken care of, but when we talk about tier two non-prod staging, dev test, UAT, these are you know generally ignored. They may not have full visibility into these environments. That's when the customer asks, hey, can you fill the gaps in the performance data that we have? And that's why we designed this observability in a box. Uh, the key differentiation here is it provides a unified observability. What this means is you are getting your metrics, events and logs, traces, all of these key data sets in one unified solution. Right? And... Uh, this is completely based on open source and open telemetry architecture. And um, if you see one of the emerging trends within the enterprise, they want to adopt more and more open instrumentation. And even Gartner is talking about this. Right? So that's where our product is, um, is based on this open source architecture. So if you have Telegraph agents, Prometheus agents, if you have Elasticsearch Heat modules, or Jaeger Open Telemetry, you will be able to ingest all of the data into our platform. And on top of that, what we are doing is we are adding our own innovations, especially with the edge AI, right? As we collect the data, we are training our AI ML models. We are able to establish a baseline. We identify anomalies. We provide some of these predictive insights, right? So, so that way in the unified solution, you're also getting the edge AI implemented. And some of the new use cases that we are seeing, especially in the service provider and telco environments, they want embedded observability. So uh, some of our infrastructure partners, they are embedding this observability in a box in the management layer of an infrastructure stack so that they can do uh, so call home and uh, remote monitoring capabilities. And in the same way, some of our MSP customers they are deploying this observability in a box in some of their remote customer sites and getting the data. Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's interesting stuff. So, um, so I think we're we're getting pretty close on time here. Is there is there anything that you guys wanted to cover that we haven't covered so far? Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. So I just want to uh, double click on RDA a little bit, uh, Sean, and uh, want to talk some of the benefits that our customers are seeing. So sure. RDA, we think it's actually a game changer in AIOps. Right? The, the reason I say that is with RDA, 
we are able to simplify and accelerate AI ops implementations altogether. Right? And our customers are able to address a lot more use cases with RDA. And they are realizing faster ROI with RDA. And RDA itself is gaining a lot of traction and momentum within our service partners and consulting partners. Now they want to take RDA. They are able to do POX very easily, faster POX. Instead of taking six months, they are able to do it in six weeks. And, and even some of our um, you know, AI ops partners, they want to actually embed RDA uh, in their portfolio so that you know, they, have, they can have some of these data ops automation capabilities. To add uh, to Tejas' point, right? So our vision is, I mean, if you look at Sashan, uh, at macro level, AIOps is transforming tools-driven IT to right? uh, analytics-driven IT with core use cases and all. But the true promise of AIOps is when you can uh, help uh, IT operators with their day-to-day -day functions at micro level, right? Where whatever Tejo said, those use cases quickly, uh, they can put these pipelines together and use, right? So for the uh, IT automation. Uh, so, so that's how RDA can, I mean, it can, will help you start small, to do some of the automation at micro level and you know grow paths to the uh, full-fledged AIOps. And the second one, what we are seeing is the hyper automation, right? I don't want to throw one more buzzword, but end-to-end -end automation, right? So, uh, you know, Sean, you are, you've been in the block and you know about automation, task automation, workflow automation, and you know, various automations are there, but recently with RPA, which is automating <coughs> user actions, to accomplish this end-to-end -end automations, two pieces missing. One is the data automation. The other one is the decision-making automation, right? So AIOps is kind of AIML models addressing the decision-making automation to the most part. But with RDA, it's really filling the data automation part. So from user RPA, user actions, RDA, data automation, and then AIOps for decision making and the last mile automation using Chef Puppet Ansible. Now you can truly achieve this end-to-end -end automation or hyper-automation, uh, what everybody is aspiring to. Yeah, makes sense. So with regards to um, RDA, do you, um, and, and the bots that you guys have created, is it available that uh, people can write their own bots and submit them into the community and kind of crowdsource to accelerate the development of more diverse sets of bots for the data automation? Yes, yes, that's that's our vision, Sean. Um, I mean, as I said, we already created 500, us and some of our partners. Mm -hmm. We are certifying them. And our vision is to really open this up to a full community so that, you know, this uh, whole bot library will evolve. So we are in that process of, you know, uh, providing this uh, uh, whole certification and expanding the bot uh, uh, ecosystem. That's great, that's great. Well, this has been awesome. This has been a really interesting conversation and uh, congratulations to you guys for everything you've accomplished in the last six years. I, uh, I know very well how hard it is to start a software company. <laughs> so, um, and uh, so I, I, again, thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, 
If you want to check out uh, Cloud Fabrics some more, you can go to www.cloudfabrics, that's cloud with F-A-B-R-I-X.com, and check them out some more. Um, and uh, from there, I think we'll, uh, I think we'll close this session out. Uh, Basker, Tejo, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure meeting you, and uh, I look forward to talking to you. So this has been a great conversation, and uh, you know, as we look into the future of educating you know, the market on AI ops and what we're trying to do, uh, I'd absolutely love to keep in touch and, and have you guys on again and talk about some uh, more interesting things. Absolutely, Sean. Thank you very much for this opportunity. We also enjoyed this discussion. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, guys. And this is the end of our episode, so uh, we'll sign off from here. Thanks, everybody, for watching. And I'm your host, Sean McDermott, signing off. Thank you very much, and see you next time. Thanks for joining us in this week's episode. IT operations management is all about staying on top of the wave. Hit the like button. Tell us what you thought about this episode. Share and subscribe. And we'll see you next week on Find Flow.